Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. My name is Brandy. I'm the host. This podcast, we talk about all sorts of things relating to self-help, self-awareness, relationships, and just in general, the way that we think about things that happen in our lives. I like to talk about that a lot because not only does it help me, but hopefully it makes you guys think a little bit about what you're going through or how you're perceiving what's going on in your life. Um, In this episode, I wanted to talk about why healing an unhealthy relationship feels impossible. And I have no notes for this episode, so I'm just winging it. And I'm talking about the Jenga analogy that I created in my mind the other day when I was thinking about um, unhealthy things that have happened and why they didn't work out and why it felt impossible to resolve it or just in general unhealthy relationships, why it feels impossible and using this analogy. First and foremost, I wanted to say that I have not been recording this podcast for a while and um, that made me want to talk about creative block and just remind you guys that when you have a creative block, it's okay to kind of take a step back. Um, I feel like there's a lot of pressure. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves to crank out shit, you know, in a timely manner, um, according to deadline, which is really good to be, you know, proactive about your goals and about, um, when you said the, what the promises you made to yourself of when you would complete certain tasks. But sometimes, honestly, especially, um, I think in all, in all categories really, but for a creative person that does something, um, more creative and it's up to them to create, to accomplish their goals. Like, you know, it's up to nobody else but me to post this podcast on this podcast. It's up to nobody else, but the artist that posts on her Instagram and to post often. So she gets noticed or people, people buy her artwork. It's up to nobody else but us to do these things. But it's important not to be too hard on yourself when you don't get it done hundred percent all the time. As long as you're still pushing towards your goals, I think that's good. Um, so that's just kind of a little tangent. Just if you're being super pressureful on yourself, it's not the end of the world and you have so much, you know, the fact that you're still trying at your goals is amazing in itself. Um, and you know, at least for me, when I, when I pressure myself to make, um, art or create content for this podcast. It just really takes the fun out of it. And I feel like I don't even have a a fun relationship with what I'm doing anymore. So that's just a little reminder for people that are putting pressure on themselves. Um, just to give yourself a little break and function at a, you know, at a, uh, continuing rate, but you don't need to be perfect all the time. So anyways, as for this topic, like I said, why does healing a unhealthy relationship feel impossible? So for anybody who's been in a unhealthy relationship, we know that the dynamic is usually where a conflict arises and then expression of disagreement is given. So the parties both talk about what they don't like about the problem, but then they may forgive each other. They may um, pass over the situation, but the situation is never fully disclosed, even if it seems like it's disclosed in the moment. And something I noticed in personal experience and what I see in other people is when we don't really know how to resolve a problem or when we don't 
fully um, maybe have the capacity to actually understand where the person is coming from, it can feel like energy depleting. And I feel like because our energy is so depleted, we then just actually completely turn away from the conflict and it feels like the conflict um, you know, is no longer present and it's solved. But in reality, it's just our energy is no longer here for it. And our mind, we just literally do not have the capacity to keep discussing the issue. And so the emotions attached to the conflict are, you know, gone. They, they, they leave the situation, but then over time as your energy regains and then another situation or occurrence comes up, and it resonates with what happened in the past or a conflict that made you feel on edge or uneasy, then those emotions come back all over again. And so there's even more tension associated because you recall that, wow, we never actually came to the understanding to begin with. And so I think that there is something to identify um, and um, differentiate is patterns where people like go because it's normal to slip up. Human beings, there's never going to be any kind of connection you have with another person where there isn't a little bit of like strangeness occasionally or disagreement. And I think that this it's just the strongest bonds um, face that disagreement, knowing you know that there's imperfection when the both of them come forward and. It doesn't mean like right away understanding each other, but just knowing that in the future there will be, um, you know, closure to the situation. So it's different when there is genuine closure, but it's not different when there's reoccurring patterns and behaviors that keep surfacing in the relationship or connection. So I came up with the Jenga analogy as um, kind of this comparison that we could use in in regards to unhealthy relationships and why they feel so unmanageable or um, just unmendable, really. And so I want you to imagine the Jenga puzzle. If anybody's ever played, it's a tower of the wooden blocks and you stack them usually three by three by three by three, going all the way up into a tower, creating a tower. So there's three on each tier. And when we play Jenga, we can kind of like try and push one of the Jenga puzzles out of the puzzle, right? And sometimes, even if it's on the first try, for some reason, you can kind of notice that there is a a risk of having the Jenga puzzle fall all the way over, even if it's just the first try. So you gently push it back in and it's stable again. So that's resolve. That's where you push the button, you push, you push the button of somebody emotionally or, um, you know, that you trigger them in a way where you guys have a conflict and then you realize, okay, I've entered a territory where I can make the choice to um, alter the behavior or where I can keep taking the risk to push the p- puzzle piece even further and see what happens. Hopefully it doesn't fall over, right? And so you didn't take the risk. So we go somewhere else. We we start hitting another Jenga puzzle and it comes out perfectly. And so you can set that aside. After a while, 
the Jenga puzzle pieces, the more that you take out. So the first one comes out successfully. The second one comes out successfully. The third one comes out successfully. And so over and over and over, you take out these puzzle pieces. Each time that you remove a piece from the Jenga puzzle, it represents a conflict that has been, that has occurred. Okay. So we're puzzle pieces deep. We have so many puzzle pieces at this point and the Jenga tower is wobbling. And why is that? It's because of the unresolved conflicts that have happened over time. And if I, the player, had to determine when the first puzzle piece occurred, it would be nearly impossible. I have a trail of of turns that were taken. So from the first puzzle piece that was pushed up to the last one that's threatening the tower to fall over. I have a trail of behaviors that were unsettled. Okay, so each Jenga piece represents a behavior that was unsettled and truly the conflict was not, um, did not come to an understanding. And now that the puzzle pieces are on the verge of falling over, I can't identify anymore the very root of the first puzzle piece that happened. So the reason why I use this analogy is when you're in an unhealthy relationship, the reason why an un- why a relationship becomes unhealthy is because there is a constant pushing of boundaries. So at first, it's something small like a disregard for their feelings. And then second, it's gaslighting. And third, it's physical abuse, right? I mean, every relationship obviously doesn't have to be physically abusive to be unhealthy. It can be verbally abusive as well. Um, And very subtly abusive to where it's almost hard and difficult to to discern, but you still feel in your body feelings that this, the, the occurrence is unpleasant and doesn't make you feel good, right? And so with this analogy, I just wanted to highlight the fact that over time, these persistent behaviors with without recognition and that get disregarded, that's what leads to an unhealthy relationship. And this Jenga analogy helps understand, helps us understand why getting to the core feels so impossible because if we had to I don't know if anybody's ever tried to do this, but when they're playing Jenga and they try to push the puzzle piece back in just for fun, I guess, um, the tower's probably going to fall over, right? And so we can try all we want to push them back in and go to square one, but it's almost impossible because of not only do you have the trail of patterns, but you have now really the burden it is to unravel all of these things that were never resolved to begin with. And so that the emotions after a while, as I previously stated, I believe the reason why we don't end up resolving problems is because our energy is depleted. And so we run away from the situation mentally, we flee the situation, or we even simply just do not care anymore because of how much of a energetic toll it takes on our mental state. And, you know, that's why it really takes a lot to have any kind of connection flourish, especially relationships um, romantically, because it takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of awareness. It takes a lot of 
recognition and owning up to faulty behaviors on both parties on, you know, both ends of the relationship. And I loved this analogy because it just reminded me of, um, like I said, the trail of all the patterns of behaviors that haven't been identified. And so that's why healing an unhealthy relationship feels impossible because the permit we permit the behavior and then it happens again and again. And for a moment, there's a detachment from the emotionally from what happened. But then after a while, when another situation comes up and your energy is higher again, it reminds you of what triggered the emotions to begin with. And so it's a never and a seemingly never ending cycle. So another thing to think about is um, how naturally when we do become find ourselves again in conflict, we are in defense mode. So as much as we want to claim or believe that we're compassionate people or that we um, are open to hearing the other perspective, in an unhealthy relationship that has a history of reoccurring behaviors and patterns that are unhealthy, which makes it unhealthy, um, you are not going to be inclined to be open and, you know, welcoming. That is only established when the dynamic is um, non-judgmental and inviting you to have open and, and real vulnerable conversation. So like in a healthy relationship, when something bad happens, for instance, you're going to have that really uneasy moment where the two of you just hate each other and don't like what's going on or whatever the situation may be. But then later down the road, you come together and you discuss the ins and outs of where you were triggered, why you were triggered and the way that you reacted. And then you find the association between the stimuli and the trigger. So by stimuli, I mean the the situation that caused the trigger. And then of course, the, the feeling of the trigger. So because we're in defense, because of this, we are naturally inclined to be in defense mode. We're not we don't have this established, um, sincere ability to come together. And then instead of trying to prove each other wrong, actually try to be open. The focus is more so internal than external. Um, but also focus, the focus is also simultaneously external more than internal. I don't know how to explain that other than, when we look at the situation, so if I'm in a conflict, it's really easy for me to think this person is wrong because of this thing and it affected me because of this way. And sometimes conflicts can be really one-sided, honestly, and someone could put something onto you that really you don't have a whole lot of error in. Um, And it really is on that person to come to terms with that. But if there's a conflict where you both mutually kind of have some faults, um, especially in the way that one person reacted, um, even if the other person proposed the argument first, it can, it can be kind of difficult territory to navigate. So we're in defense mode and, um, you can be fixating a lot on this person is wrong because of this way, or, I'm the the victim here because of this reason, right? And so why like 
why would we want to give someone the time of day knowing that they don't give you the time of day? Because usually if one person isn't in that mentality, the other person is also in that mentality. And the reason being is that um, there, like I said, hasn't been an established trust of knowing that the other person will be heard. And the main function that keeps people together and keeps people you know, understanding of each other is separating their own personal experience and truly trying to fit themselves into the shoes of the other person, even if they seem irrational or erratic or whatever the situation may be. And that's because um, when people act out in ways that, like, I guess I can give an example here. Right now I'm learning about um, the different personality disorders. And one of them that really intrigued me was um, the narcissistic personality disorder, which I plan on making a podcast episode about soon, hopefully. So what really um, made me interested in this is that, of course, um, unless you're not already aware, narcissistic personality disorder, um, the root of it is usually involving some form of childhood abuse or neglect or um, some kind of wound from adolescence or just childhood. And so because of this wound um, develops a fear of abandonment and a, and a need to be um, appreciated and valued. And so in turn, the narcissist will raise up their guard in order to protect themselves from ever potentially being hurt. And what's interesting about this is this is actually an egocentric personality disorder, which means that the person at hand is actually unaware that they have any faults. So of course, um, with the narcissistic personality disorder, they will make themselves feel, um, seem superior to you. They will, um, not permit that you carry an opinion that contradicts their own, or they'll just disregard your, um, perspective in general. And this is actually entirely unconscious most of the time. And that's why a lot of people with narcissistic personality disorder don't actually ever seek out treatment because they don't find the faults in their behavior, um, which is, again, egocentric. So the reason I talk about this is because of the fact that sometimes we are unconsciously just looking to prove ourselves right in the situation rather than coming together and being open about the wounds present. And it can be difficult when the other person is either completely unaware that there is a fault versus when they are just simply unwilling because it collides with their ego. So, um, yeah. And the important part of this, um, kind of to close off the episode, I know it was a shorter one, is focusing the association between stimuli and trigger. So as I said earlier, it, the stimuli would be the event that caused the trigger, and then the trigger would be the, the trigger itself. And being able to, I know it's very difficult in moments of conflict, but when you give yourself the space away from the person and away from the conflict, Um, it's about really identifying why these situations keep coming up and where they come from. And it's easy to give into our first initial train of thought. So sometimes we like to tell ourselves stories that mask the true underlying reason of why we feel the way we feel. Um, For instance, I've had 
I, I have been diagnosed with social anxiety disorder in the past. Um, my symptoms have gone away almost entirely, but I still feel moments where I feel socially anxious. Um, I was having a conversation about this other day with somebody. When I go in, in social situations, sometimes I'll notice that I feel as though other people are being critical of me. And that's a common symptom that people with social anxiety disorder have. I feel that other people are being so critical of me to the point where the reason why they aren't including me in something or discussing their ideas with me is because that they, they just don't care about my opinion or that, um, they don't think I have anything to offer. And so I like in those moments, sometimes I like to project it out onto them and, and deem them the negative, um, the negative component of the situation, the person at fault. Instead, in reality, the case is that perhaps internally, I don't feel that what I have to offer serves much purpose or that I don't have the insight to give to others. And so that is something very vulnerable because to admit to yourself, because nobody wants to admit that they feel insecure or inferior. And you can see that um, clearly with the narcissistic personality disorder. Um, They've suppressed it so much due to trauma because of the fact that um, and it's developed into an egocentric disorder because of the fact of the significance of the trauma. And now they're completely unable, mentally incapable of coming to terms with those deeper wounds. So while we have the chance to, that is why, um, you know, instead of, like I said, me putting the blame on somebody else or not being invited to something and resenting the person or, um, you know, feeling excluded and being mad at that, I can take a deeper look inside and realize that it's probably just my fear of not being accepted by others and not being having my opinion considered. And in turn, when we have conflicts arise in relationships, we can, rather than blaming the counterparty, depending on the situation, of course, um, you know, without considering like physical abuse or why people hit people. Even if you want to be super, super, super open and understanding, you can understand that people hit you because of something internal with them. And that's a really hard and scary thing to face. Um, or that people, you know, if you're the person who's hitting somebody, you are doing it because of a deeper reason. And, um, Yeah, I just think that the association, focusing on finding the association between stimuli and trigger is what frees us from being the prisoner to our own storyline and not being able to identify where the problem came from to begin with. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this podcast episode. I really just love talking about these kind of things. And if you have any interest in me talking about a topic or um, potentially a story that you guys have, um, an experience that you've been through that you would like me to share on the podcast, please feel free to DM me or email me. My Instagram and my email will be linked below, but I will also repeat them on the podcast. My Instagram is at create my headspace. And then my Gmail is going to be create my headspace at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for tuning into the podcast and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day.